This is The Podcast Method, a show where I try to answer your questions about podcasting and recording, audio, sometimes video equipment, software, mic technique, pre- and post-production workflows, and more. I am Dan Benjamin, and this is episode number 16. I've been getting great questions from all of you on Twitter, and uh, please keep those questions coming. The best way to ask me something, I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter, and you can use the hashtag podcast method so that it's easy for me to see it when I go through Twitter before the show uh, to talk to you guys. And that's one of the things I wanted to actually talk about, uh, really two topics bundled into one. One of them is kind of the pre-show workflow that we've used here for the last five or six years and how all of that works, and also how to interact with listeners and what are the best ways to do that. Because these are things that, independent of how you monetize your podcast or even if you monetize your podcast, I think they're really important there's so many different ways to prepare for a show. I know people, especially people who come from the uh, from from doing working with Leo Laporte over at Twit, how they have grown and expanded that system, which heavily relies on things like Google Docs and Google Spreadsheets specifically to build a show. I know Tom Merritt uses a system. I know Scott Johnson uses that system. Uh, not saying that they got it just from Twit, but that they have this common solution which is to use Google Spreadsheets. And they have a template that they use. It's really, really well thought through, and it's really smart. And they duplicate that template, and then for each show, they'll go and break down those different segments uh, for those shows and say, okay, the first segment is the intro, and then we're going to go into doing links. So then they'll put all their news stories into uh, that link section. And then they'll have uh, questions or Q&A, and they'll put it into another section. And so they'll then share that Google Spreadsheet out with the guests or co-hosts of the show, they collaborate on it. And when it's showtime, they'll all have this open. And at, from being a guest on the show, I know that this is how they do it because they'll actually be typing in there. And you can see, because Google Spreadsheet shows you each person and like where they are in the show. So it makes it super easy to follow along in real time with the other co-hosts uh, and see this is the section that they're on. And they might type a note and go to the next section. And you can see their cursor moving down. And of course, Google Docs, Google Spreadsheets makes this all free. So it's a really great tool to use to collaborate, especially if you're the kind of person who likes to prepare. I know other people that don't prepare at all. Uh, they just show up and start talking. That works for some people too. Uh, for, for me, it's kind of somewhere in the middle. And it also depends heavily on the kinds of kind of show. So for example, uh, if you're talking about a show that I do uh, with, uh, with John Roderick, like Roadwork, well, I guess that would fit more into the storytelling space than anything else. That's a show where uh, it, John and I talk and he tells really, really great stories and we go down all kinds of strange tangents. It's a really fun, interesting show for me to do as a co-host of it. And all of that is due to John's kind of amazing life that he has and has had. So for that show, it's not necessary really to do a whole lot of preparation. I might come up with a few topics, but what I am doing while he's talking, while he's telling his stories or while we're going down some path is taking tons and tons and tons of notes and preparing kind of comments, thoughts, questions, other things. That's what I'm also doing when I am interviewing somebody uh, for a show like The Pipeline. So if I'm going to be interviewing a guest who I'm not that familiar with before the show, I'll read as much as I can about that guest. I will listen to other interviews that they've done or read interviews that they've done. 
if they're a writer or a web designer or something that I can uh, go to online to see their work, I'll review as much of their work as I can so that I'm really familiar with what they're about. And if there's interesting things that's happened to them or biographies I can pull up, uh, I'll do that. Like with Heather Armstrong, who's a longtime writer of Deuce.com, who I interviewed recently on the show. There was a ton of stuff that she's written and a ton of stuff written about her. So, And plus, I'm a big fan of hers and have been reading her stuff forever. So for me, that was a really easy one to just jump in and start uh, start talking about. But there have been plenty of guests that I've had and plenty that uh, are, are scheduled where I don't know that much. I know they're interesting or I've been influenced by them, but I need to learn more. I don't rely on tons of questions, pre, pre-written questions when I'm interviewing somebody typically. I'll have a topic outline list and I'll see where the conversation goes. I don't like that feeling when you're listening to something and you can tell that the interviewer almost has like a script, a pre-written stuff that they want to ask. So tell me about uh, 1994 when you were here. What was that experience like for you? It just doesn't feel natural to me. It doesn't feel natural. It feels scripted and I don't like it. And uh, there's something about a natural flow of a conversation that I think makes an interview so much more authentic. Uh, But that also being able to do that comes from interviewing people for many, many, many years and working up to that point that, look, if you put on Charlie Rose and watch one of his interviews, that's the most natural thing in the whole world. He's the pro at doing this kind of thing. And and if you want to look to somebody for a skill of uh, 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 at interviewing and making whether or not those questions are pre-written or whether he's just super, super great as an interviewer or both, watch the way he does it. It's It's tough. Interviews can be tricky. But with that as an exception... If I'm doing a news-focused show, if I'm doing a show that's sort of topical, then I'll just go through and pick uh, pick things from the news. If it's a weekly news show and you're talking about a certain kind of topic, pick those news items and put them into your show notes, whether it's in Google Spreadsheets or just something where you've got a list of bookmarks or a list of topics uh, and uh, and go from there. One of the things that I built into the 5x5 CMS that's also a way better version in in the software that I'm working on to release for you guys soon is a bookmarklet system. So you put a bookmarklet in your bookmarks bar, and then as you're doing a show or before you're doing the show, you just click that little link on a page that you're reading with some text selected, and boom, it'll add it as a bookmark into your show notes automatically for you. A super, super big time saver. And then when you're doing the show, there's all the links right there. You can see them, you can open them, you can talk about them, and so can your your hosts. Super great way to share links, but really any kind of link sharing would work. You could do that with pin, uh, not Pinterest, <laughs> with Pinboard. I suppose you could do it with Pinterest too if you're talking about fashion or whatever else. But you you can do that with Pinboard. You can do that with Instapaper. You could do it with all kinds of tools out there that you can use to share links. And uh, one of the things that I found also super useful for me is to try and eliminate the distractions that are going on at, while I'm podcasting. So instead of having a uh, a whole computer, obviously I've got the machine that I'm using to record. I'm recording in Logic Pro. Uh, Instead of having another computer on the desk, I've got my iPad Air. And that just keeps it super simple. Yes, you can do the split screen thing now with iOS 9, but it just keeps it simple. It's a distraction-free kind of environment. So whether I'm looking at my notes or whether I'm looking at uh, a web page, it keeps tons of little notifications. I don't have email clients running and I don't have, uh, you know, unless it's a live show, I don't have Twitter going. It just makes it so much easier to focus on what I want to do and not get distracted and not even provide a window of potential distraction 
for myself. So that some super handy uh, tips there that I hope uh, help you out when you're doing that pre-show kind of prep work. And you'd be surprised at the amount of tools that are out there, these basic tools. I mean, use, use the Notes app to take your notes. You know, it's cross-platform. It's on iOS. It's on everything. Or use Evernote if you're more of an Android or PC kind of a person. I mean, there's super convenient solutions here as far as uh, tools that you can use to prepare for a show, take your notes and review to it later. And I think uh, notes on iOS and Mac is super useful for this because you can be looking at a web page and boom, one tap, two taps, really add it right to your notes, type something in when you get an idea late at night for something you want to talk about. Uh, and so that's, that's a big, a big tip that I use just this simple built in little app. You'd be surprised how powerful it can be. The second part of what I wanted to talk about is audience interaction, audience participation, live streaming, and the state of live streaming uh, toward the end of 2015. Before I do that, I want to say thanks very much to our sponsor. It's Hover. When you have a great idea, and I know you have good ideas, you will want to get a good domain name for that idea. You want to find the perfect name, the one that represents your project, something that's catchy, memorable, and feels good, typing on a keyboard and saying out loud, Hover makes it easy for you to find that domain name so you can get started actually working on all of your great ideas. The way that it works, Hover's like, think of it as like a search engine for domain names. They've got a blank, you fill it out just like you would do a Google search, and they're going to come back with a long list of all of the domains that are available. And if you enter in like a phrase or a couple words, they'll start playing off of that. So they'll come up with tons of suggestions based on that phrase or those words or those terms. It's incredibly useful. And when, when you find the one that you like, you can do the .com, the .net. You can do country-specific ones like .uk. And they also have all the, the fancy new ones, the .design, .club, .pizza. And they don't believe that you should have to upgrade for things that should be included, like who is privacy. That's not an extra that's built in. They have a free domain name valet transfer service. So there's no hassle if you want to move your domain, domain name from somewhere else to Hover. And there's just so much great stuff there. I want you to go and check out it's at Hover, H-O-V-E-R, Hover.com, and the code Podcast Method will get you 10% off your first purchase. So go and make a new account and, uh, and use the code Podcast Method, and you'll save 10% off everything you buy that first time around. Thanks very much to Hover for making this show possible. And so now let's talk about that second aspect of audience interaction, audience participation. Even if your audience is small, that shouldn't stop you from engaging with them as much as possible. Always ask for feedback and just remind people how to do that. You can do it at the top of the show. You can do it at the end of the show. You can do it both places. So if you want to interact with me about this show, please do. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter, hashtag podcast method. You can do the same thing for your show. People will do it. If you get one response from one listener, that's great. But you have to bring that back in because if listeners hear you saying, oh, yeah, yeah, tweet at us, talk at us, and then they don't actually get a response from you on Twitter or they don't hear back from you on that channel that you've asked them to, then they're not going to be inclined to do it. But even more important, don't forget this part. You've got to address those people on the show itself. And I'll tell you why. Think about this. Let me take you back in time. I was in junior high and I called in the local radio station because I wanted to hear this song that I really liked. I don't remember what the song was. But I was, it was, you know, late at night one night and I was awake and I was probably reading a Dungeons and Dragons thing 
and I was listening to the radio and I wanted to hear this song. So I called up and I was on hold and then the, the DJ answers the phone and I said, Hey, uh, this song I want to hear. Can you play it? And he said, Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. What's your name? I said, Dan. He said, all right. And so lo and behold, maybe 20, 30 minutes later, after I'd given up hope that I would ever hear that song I wanted to hear, the DJ came on and said, this one's for Dan and wherever I was, Florida somewhere. And he said my name on the radio and I was famous. Everybody knew that Dan had asked for this song, but I did. I felt kind of famous, you know, when he played the song, it was nothing to him. This is one of the 50 billion songs that he's shouted out to a person for in the eighties, you know, like no big deal, but it meant something to me. And I think in a lot of ways, when you, when somebody writes to you or tweets to you and you reply to them and you talk to them and you share your ideas with them, uh, or they share their ideas with you and then you share that on your show, that's much, much more special, I think to them because, you know, like they listened to you and now you said their name and addressed their, their email or asked, answered their question or, uh, argued with them or whatever it is that you do on your show. That means a whole lot to people. And it's a really tremendous way for you to engage. And here's the important part that I don't want you to forget. When one person here does that and you respond to that person on the show and everyone else hears it, they're going to say, Oh, if I tweet to this person or email to, to this host, they're going to respond to me and they might read my thing on the air. And it shows people how this works and how it happens. And that leads to more and more and more feedback and uh, generates more audience buzz. And then people see it on Twitter and they're like, well, this person I followed was tweeting to this host of this show. I, maybe I should listen to that show. And that's a big part of growing your audience. That leads right into the next topic. Everybody's been talking about this. Everybody's been asking me about this. And I felt like one of the best places to respond to it would be here on the show. And that is Google is getting into the whole podcasting thing with Google Play. And what? 5 by 5 is a part of it? Yes. And let me tell you how that process worked and why uh, I'm excited to be a part of it. And I would also like to address the questions that I've been getting from people who, who say to me, what about Google making money off of your podcast? Isn't Google evil? Aren't, aren't they bad? And why are you letting your shows be on Google Play? I'll, I'll address all of that. And the, the short answer that I'll preface around this is, you know what? We're all figuring this stuff out right now. And there isn't a definitive right or wrong answer. Uh, but I'm jumping ahead. Here's what happened. Google came out and said, we are going to be adding podcast contents to Google Play. For people who don't know a lot about Google Play or what it is, Google Play is a combination of things. On the one hand, it, it is the name that they use for their store, their online store. Uh, it's also a place where you can go to, uh, to get audio content so you can buy like music from Google Play. But the, the short answer is, it is an app that's on like every single Android device as well. So Google Play being a place that hundreds of thousands, if not many millions of people are already going to get audio content, when they decided that they wanted to add podcasts to this, well, it was very similar to Apple when they said that they wanted to put podcasts into iTunes. It very much legitimized podcasting as a thing, and it also put it in front of people in a way that was very accessible. 
Well, Google, of course, being a completely different company and different kind of company than Apple, people tend to get suspicious of Google and say, wait a minute, they're going to monetize my show. They're going to find ways to make money off of the show that I'm doing in much the same way that Spotify announced. Spotify was adding and has added podcasts to its directory. And I very much wanted five by five shows to be a part of the Spotify podcast directory too. I want people who are using Spotify to be able to hear uh, the shows that we make. And I want people who are using Google play to hear the shows that we make. And the short answer for why I, I did it is because I want our audience, the audience for this show and every other show that we do to be as large as possible. And I'm, I want to try as hard as possible to eliminate the barriers that lie between the shows that I make and the potential listeners out there in the world. The more places that we can put our shows, the more potential listeners that we have and the bigger our audience could be. Why is it so important to build an audience? Why is it so important that the audience grows? Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, on the one hand, there are people who are listening to this show that are brand new. This might even be the first episode that they've ever listened to. Or maybe they've listened to all of the shows because they just discovered it a week ago and they're going through and listening to all the prior 15 episodes to this one, right? The other thing that happens is people will tune in and listen and then maybe they won't listen as much anymore. Maybe they'll find something else that's more interesting to them and they'll go away. So you have this constantly rotating audience of people. Hopefully it's growing and hopefully people stick around so that as you're building your audience, people are staying. That's what you want, right? But the reality is for some reason or another, people will stop listening. Maybe they don't have a commute anymore or maybe they got married and their independent time is now spent with somebody else. Or maybe they are taking night correspondence classes. Who knows why people, so maybe they're just bored of your show, right? That can happen too. Who knows what the reason is why they've stopped listening, but for some reason they have. At the same time, you want those new listeners to find your show and discover your show and build that audience. Obviously, it's not just to make yourself feel good so you can say, I have 100,000 people downloading my show. I mean, that, that will make you feel good. But there's a real reason for that, and that is, if you want to do a show that's listener-supported or you want to do a show that's sponsored, those numbers really matter. Even just for the sake of making the show better, the bigger that your audience is, the more connection you'll have with them, the more feedback you'll get, and the better you can make the show. So there's no reason why you don't want more listeners. Now, there are tons and tons and tons of people who use Android or Google Play or both on a variety of different platforms, including iOS, right? And they want to get at that content. They want to get new content. Why would you not want to be part of that content? Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you the main reason that, uh, that, that people have a problem with it, and that is it seems like Google can, will, uh, or, or will potentially make money off of your podcast. So I have uh, here in front of me a, uh, a bit of text from their agreement, the agreement that you must read and digitally sign before you submit your RSS feed, your podcast RSS feed to Google for them to pull in. And also there's other things that they'll do. I'll get to that in a minute. But the, here's, here's the text of it. It says, for the avoidance of doubt, Google has the right to present audio, video, and or display advertisements in connection with Google's distribution of the podcast content, that's your show, on Google Play. Notwithstanding the foregoing, Google acknowledges and agrees that Google will not display any pre-roll or mid-roll advertisements in connection with the podcast content 
and will not sell or target advertisements directly against specific podcast content <laughs> or any particular podcast creator. Uh, so then this is the other part people don't like because this is what gets into revenue sharing. Podcast creator, that's you, shall not be entitled to any royalties, revenue, or any other monetary compensation in connection with Google's distribution of the podcast content in accordance with these podcast terms. And then it goes on and on uh, about that. Now, this is what people don't like. They say, wait, Google is can make money by putting ads before and after my show. And if they make money in the process of, of delivering my show to people, I'm not going to see any of that money. So if Google airs this show right now on Google Play and you're listening to it on Google Play and you heard an ad before the show and you heard an ad after the show, Google will make all of that money. I won't get any of it, but I'm okay with that. I'll tell you why I'm okay with that. Because you listened to my show with the ads intact, by the way, my sponsors, Hover and Linda, you heard those sponsors in my show, which Google cannot touch, will not touch. And they might've made some money, but you know what else they did? They made it possible for you to listen to this show. And maybe you wouldn't even have known about the show or listened to it without that. The fact is, my sponsors are paying money. They're not paying a lot, let's be honest. But they're paying a little bit of money to be a sponsor of this show. And you guys are supporting this show. Patreon.com slash 5 by 5 You can support us there. And now if you're listening to this on Google Play, Google Play, maybe maybe you went to one of their sponsors. So what? I don't care. Here's the thing. I don't care. They're not messing with the content. They're not cutting the show halfway through and inserting a sponsor. Maybe they're playing, but you know what? People are already used to this. It's called TV advertising. It's called radio advertising. I don't love commercials, but if you're not, a, you know, like a premium subscriber on Hulu or Spotify, you're going to hear or see commercials there. And that's okay. I'm okay with that because I want to expand our audience. And I'm not worried if Google makes a little bit of extra money because they're streaming this show along with other shows and there's an ad before or after it. I just, it doesn't bother me. I think growing the audience is more important. So I'm willing to make that sacrifice. I'm willing to do that, to get the show on Spotify, to get the show on TuneIn Radio, to get the show in Stitcher, to get the show in uh, Google Play. Now, the other thing that podcasters complain about when they look at something like Google is problems that people have told me about with Stitcher, and that is Google in Google Play ingests the podcast from the feed. It pulls it in from the feed and then redistributes that. So I don't have my own native stats and metrics and things like that. I have to rely on Google to provide those. I have to rely on Spotify to provide those or TuneIn or Stitcher or whoever. But again, to me, in order to grow the show, in order to make the show available on more devices, on more platforms, everywhere, I'm willing to concede that and say, you know what, that's okay. I just want more people to hear the show and hopefully be entertained and hopefully come back for more. So that's, that's my deal. And I'm okay with it. I would love it if Google didn't make any money off of the show. <laughs> that would be great. If it was just the show, pure, simple, straight away, downloaded through our download tracking system and stats system, which you're going to be able to get access to real soon. All of that, of course, I would prefer that. Of course. But I would also prefer another million listeners or five or 10 or 20 million listeners 
I want to put this show and all the shows we do in front of them. So long, very long explanation for why I think it's okay to do that. And for the people who don't like it, you know what? Google is not going to forcibly index your show. They're not going to ingest and start distributing your show. You've got to agree and you can put it on there. And if you change your mind, I believe you can pull it right off of there too. So, you know, make your own decision. This is why we made ours. And, uh, and I'm excited that maybe more people will listen to the shows and help me make it better. I would like to thank my second and final sponsor. It's Linda, L-Y-N-D-A. That's how I spell it. Lynda.com slash podcast method is the URL to go to to support this show that way. And they have over 3,000 on-demand video courses that'll help you strengthen your business tech and creative skills. It's the best way to learn. Let's be honest. It's the best way to learn. I, you know what? That's it. Forget it. I'm not going to do the rest of the spot. Lynda.com slash podcast method, the best way to learn stuff. Go there, watch their videos. You can jump in and watch just a little segment of a video that will help you figure out how to do just that one thing in that application you can't figure out. You don't have to spend hours watching. But if you have time and you want to learn something from A to Z, this is the place to go. High and top professionals teaching you their secrets. That's how it works. It's that simple. And there's no better way to learn, period. So I want you to visit lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash podcast method. Doing that will support the show. Sign up for your free 10-day trial and you get access to every single video that they have. Watch it once, watch it 100 times, up to you. Thanks very much to Linda for supporting the show. And now let's get to your questions. These are questions that were submitted by people just like you on Twitter. At Dan Benjamin, podcast method is the hashtag to use. Here are some questions. Cool guy Mike. Cool guy Mike R, actually, who's at Mike R. Apen. How do you measure a podcast's popularity and what type of analytics would you recommend? And he has popularity in a quote. And by the way, I want to, I, something else is off topic for this show, but I commend cool guy Mike R for having an avatar of himself so I can see his picture and now I feel connected to him as a human being. I know who he is, and if he, he were to walk up to me at a meetup, I'd be like, oh, you're a cool guy, Mike R. I know you, instead of having a picture of like his company's logo or something or his dog. So bravo to you, cool guy, Mike R. How do you measure a podcast popularity? This is a great question, and you know what? There isn't really a definitive answer for that. You can't really measure it because I'll tell you what, if it shows up in new and noteworthy in iTunes, that's great. That's great. A lot of new shows show up there. A lot of shows show up there every week for a few days. That's not really measuring popularity, is it? If you were to use a, your favorite podcast app on your favorite mobile device, they have their own directory that's going to show popularity. Is that a true indication of popularity? Not really. Not really. So I would tell you this. Don't worry about popularity. Don't worry about how popular your show is. Which leads me into your second question. What types of analytics would you recommend? That's going to tell you the, in, the information that you need. That's what you want to focus on. What downloads are you getting? And is the trend upwards, more downloads, or downwards, less downloads? Obviously, you want that trend to be up. Now, if you're asking me what would I consider to be a successful or a popular show, with as many podcasts as there are today, if you're getting thousands of downloads, you're doing something right. If you're getting hundreds, 
You may still be doing something right, but not enough people know it. Now, that's a different topic. How do you increase that? Uh, increasing your audience, well, listener engagement, the things I was talking about earlier, tweeting back to people and then reading their tweets and answering their questions on the show. But how do you measure it? And what kind of analytics would you recommend? Well, we have a really good analytics thing that we're about to release. But until then, you could use something like PodTrack. PodTrack, P-O-D-T-R-A-C.com, PodTrack.com. That's free. Libsyn has pretty good tracking, but it's not free. You get to use their hosting. And then there are other ways. You could build your own thing. You could wait for us to release ours in the coming weeks. But as long as you're getting accurate and unique downloads, that's what counts. And I'll tell you, I'll say it again. If you're getting thousands or tens of thousands of downloads, you are doing something right. There are plenty of shows out there that just get few thousand downloads that are making some money, gas money, dinner money. So thanks for writing in, cool guy, Mike. John Mark Troyer, J. Troyer, asks, do you need a podcast app? To which he says, I say no. Especially uh, others, especially podcast app vendors disagree. John, I commend you also have an avatar that is your own photo. Do you need a podcast app? My answer is no. You do not unless you stream your shows live. Now, this is what I wanted to address. 2015, streaming shows live. We used to have tons and tons and tons of live listeners. They would tune in live. They would listen to the show live. They would be in the chat room. They would be suggesting titles. They would be talking and everything. Well, that number has declined. Not tremendously, and not tremendously for all shows. We still have a lot of shows that people listen to, but I noticed that that number had declined. We still get a good audience in there, but it is not what it was in 2011. And I was curious to find out why. So I asked the listeners on Twitter, I said, why? Why don't you guys tune in as much as you used to? And the answer was essentially unanimous. And that is the importance of time shifting. We, as a society of internet-connected beings, love time-shifting. We want to watch the stuff we want to watch and listen to the stuff we want to listen to when, when we want. We want to do it when we feel like it. Across the board, and I got hundreds and hundreds of people all saying the same thing to me, which is the only thing that I watch live is sports and breaking news or weather. That's the only thing people want to listen to live anymore. I said, well, don't you enjoy kind of being part of the show and listening to it before everyone else listens to it and, uh, and, and you know, adding show, you know, titles and suggesting titles? They said, yeah, well, of course I love it. But when you record, Dan, is not necessarily the time that I can listen live and or want to listen live. Or you know what? No, because I have that awful 45-minute drive every day on the way home. And if I listen to your show live when you record it at whatever, 2 p.m., I'm not going to have that show when you release it an hour and a half later in time for me to get it and drive home and listen to it. And my drive is going to suck. There are people who have very, very good reasons to not listen live. And also, for better or for worse, podcasting is not radio. I love radio. I love tuning in 
And there's a couple guys in town here in Austin who have really great sports talk in the morning. And I love to drive into work and listen to that. In addition to the podcast that I listen to later in the day. And I'm a huge, you know, like, but again, that's sports. So it's very, it's very today. It's very now. Whereas that discussion about the new keyboard or, the, you know, Twitter decided to switch from, uh, you know, hearts. There's Now we have hearts instead of stars. We have likes instead of favorites. Like, that's not going to be that interesting in another couple weeks or even another couple hours. It's just not. But that's what radio is good for. Podcasting is not radio. And the live listenership of that, people want stuff when they want it on demand. The people who do listen live have told me that they like it because they're at their computer anyway. They're alone in their office. And if they happen to be sitting there and they're not already listening to something, yeah, they'll tune in live. But if that's something that you want to do, stream stuff live, then having a podcast app can be useful for that because it can send push notifications out to people. It can make it very easy for them to tune in and listen live. But I feel like the value of that today is less than it was three or four years ago. And I feel like it will be way less in the coming few years. And I'll tell you what else with the great podcast apps uh, that we have, not the streaming kind, but, but the kind that work with every podcast on every network and independent everywhere, they're getting better and better and better and better every day. And there are people who are really hooked on that smart speed, double speed kind of stuff. I never listen that way. I want to hear real people's voices at regular speeds with all the comedic pacing and timing built in. We get complaints about road work, John Roderick and I. We get complaints about road work because at the end of the show, when John's finished telling his story, it stops and there's about five seconds of quiet after. Because he's such a great storyteller, it ends and we, I just want to leave people with that. But guess what? Smart speed eats up that time. It detects that there's silence, cuts it off, and then boom, they're right into the next podcast, which is somebody saying, hey, welcome to the new tech news show, whatever it is. And all of a sudden they're hit with that. And there's, there isn't that moment of silence. There isn't that transition. It's gone. It's lost. It's eaten by the super speed feature. So I'm not a big fan of those. I like, I like hearing real people the way they really sound at the speed that they really talk. But not everyone does. They have a lot of shows to listen to, so I respect that too. So listen the way you want to listen. Don't worry about what I like. Listen the way you want to listen. I'd rather have you listen than not. But why would you want to listen? You know, if, if you've got three shows to listen to on your drive home and you're going to listen at two speed with all the silence cut out, that's fine, do that. But that's another reason why people don't want to listen live. Andrew Crusoe, who is Hello Crusoe on Twitter. Again, I, Andrew, nice avatar. Says, do you have advice for irregular shows? I have a monthly show and I'm wondering if it's worth it, possible to get traction. Fantastic question. Way tougher. Way tougher to get traction for a monthly show than it is for a bi-weekly show, which is tougher to get traction for than a weekly show. The reason that TV shows come out in seasons and come out with, you know, 12, 13, whatever episodes per season 
is because that's something that has been proven to work. People want their shows each week. You, the podcast host, are a, no offense, but you are a character to your listeners. And you have, you have a, uh, a certain role to play for them. And they want you there. You know, like I watch Homeland TV show on Showtime. I watch that and it comes out on Sunday night. And if you told me that I wasn't going to be able to watch the follow-up episode next Sunday, and I had to wait till the Sunday after that, I'm going to kind of forget what's going on in the show. It's not going to stay fresh, and I won't care quite as much. And now if you tell me that, wait a minute, I'm only going to get one show every thir- one episode every 30 days? Forget it. I'm out. Maybe I will watch the whole season after it's all available and all the episodes are there, maybe. And you're saying, well, wait a minute. This is not like a TV show. I don't have a, a plot line going. I'm not going to leave you with a cliffhanger that person's hanging off the edge of the building and we'll see you in 30 days. You're not doing that, right? Because it's a podcast show. But in order for it to be relevant and stay relevant, you've got to have a much more frequent regular release cycle than that to really build momentum and build an audience. You just have to. That's just the way people's minds work. It doesn't mean it won't work. It doesn't mean you won't build an audience. It doesn't mean that people won't really look forward to that show as it comes out every 14 days, 30 days. It's just much tougher. You're making it much tougher for yourself. David Lyons, Lyons in beta on Twitter, asks, also in the, I got great list. All you, all you folks have great avatars. This is a picture of David. That's what he looks like. Thank you for doing that. I feel like uh, you're a real human being. Not just a photo of your next door neighbor's cat. What are your feelings on repurposing podcast content? Audio on YouTube, clips into SoundCloud, etc. Uh, my feelings on that are, it depends on what you're doing with that content. For example, uh, you can listen to a fantastic show uh, right here called Latest in Paleo. Where he talks about the paleo diet and nutrition and things like that. And he will have audio clips in the show. Lots and lots of sports programs use this. Lots and lots of news programs do this, where they will play an audio clip of something. I think it's great as long as there's really a reason to do it. If you're playing a quote from an interview or a statement or something that you want to talk about and respond to and you have something to say and playing it as opposed to just quoting them adds a dimension, then I'm all for it. I think it's great. I think it's a wonderful way to add depth and dimension to your show. And I think the amount of audio work that goes into it, that is capturing that audio, whether you're downloading it or using something like Audio Hijack to capture that audio, there's a lot of work involved. And then you've got to put it in as a separate track. And you've got to make sure that that audio is balanced and at the same level. There's a lot of work to do it right. Uh, Whereas listening to your voice, just read a quote from someone I think can just be just as effective. I think it just depends on how much time and energy you want to invest in doing that. But I absolutely think it adds a nice dimension to the show. Brent Billings, who is EIBCB on Twitter, says best low budget single mic setup to record a group of three to six people in a room. I don't want to answer your question, Brent. I just don't want to answer your question because my answer is, There is no good single mic setup to record six people in a room. 
everybody's going to sound like crap if you do it that way. Nobody's going to sound good. Nobody's going to sound good. Who's going to want to listen to that? Now, if those six people have amazing things to say, then you would say, well, there's a lot of people who want to listen to that, but they're not going to want to hear it the way you're going to record it. But you know what? I understand. You don't have enough money, probably, to go and spend 300 bucks or 200 bucks or even 100 bucks on six mics and on a six-plus channel mixer with a Firewire connection or Thunderbolt connection to your machine and then record all those tracks independently. That's costly. Oh, you also got to get stands for all those mics and you also got to get pop filters for them and cables. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of money. So what do you do? How do you record three, four, five, six people in one room? Well, you wind up getting one of those condenser mics that has what that, that pattern switchable condenser mic that you can set it to record everything in the room. Blue Yeti mics will do this, for example. And you record everyone. No one, no one sounds like, well, you know what? You'll say, well, they sound all right. No, they don't. No, they don't. But you can do it. You could also get a Sure SM57 and have people hand the mic around and edit, uh, edit out that sound in between them. The answer is it's not really easy to do. But if you have to do it, if this is your setup and you can't do anything else, go get a Blue Yeti and have everyone just show, you know set it to the room pattern and have everyone shout into it. Just don't expect that your show is going to get like millions of downloads because I don't want to listen to that. Do you? Do you really want to listen to that? Doesn't your audience deserve more, Brent Billings? Don't your amazing hosts deserve more? I don't have an easy answer for you, but that's the one I'm going to give you. Andy Small, Andy underscore small on Twitter. Do you think a solo podcast can be successful? I'm doing one right now, so I must think it can be successful. The answer for you, Andy, is yes. Yes, it can be very successful. If you have something interesting to say, go out there and say it. You're only limited by the quality of the content that you can create. Absolutely do your solo podcast. Absolutely. Think of your favorite storytellers. Think of your favorite speakers. Wouldn't you tune in and listen to them say something inspiring and amazing every week or every two weeks or once a month? Yes, Andy Small, go make your solo podcast. The last question is from MJ Christensen. MJ Christensen CO on Twitter. What's the most effective way to advertise a podcast? Now, MJ is not asking what's the most effective way to advertise on a podcast. MJ is saying what's the most effective way to advertise a podcast, get the word out about a podcast. That's a fascinating question because I've experimented with this. I've tried buying those little Reddit ads and advertising like the geek podcasts on the Reddit ads. You could certainly buy sponsorships for your podcast on other podcasts. Why not? But I don't, I have to tell you, I don't know. This is something that's, that's really interesting to me because I'm willing to spend money to make my podcast more effective, to increase that audience. But I'll tell you what, why not start in the medium that you're already in by advertising on another podcast for your show? I would say as long as your show doesn't really compete with that other show, 
that the podcaster of the other show should be open-minded to that. But you want to find something that's related. So, for example, if you are talking about technology on your show, why not go and find another technology show to advertise on? If you talk about Apple stuff, find a show that's in the mobile space or the Apple space and say, you know what, I want to sponsor an episode of your show. How much is it? That's why there are beer commercials on during NFL football games. Because it's widely known that people who watch NFL football games may often consume beer. So think of it like that. Where are the sites that people are going to that might want to listen to your show? What are the podcasts that people listen to that might want to listen to your show? What are the YouTube videos that people might watch who might want to listen to your show? Go and advertise there. Advertise on those channels. So that's it for this episode of The Podcast Method. I sure do appreciate you listening. As I've told you multiple times throughout the show, the best way to talk to me or ask me questions or comment on the show is on Twitter, twitter.com slash Dan Benjamin. I'm at Dan Benjamin over there. If there's show-specific questions, hashtag podcast method is the best way to get me to see them. And uh, if you want, you can support the show in two different ways. The first way is to check out our sponsors, hover.com where the code podcast method will get you 10% off and lynda.com slash podcast method where you can get a free 10 day trial. And if neither of those things are interesting to you and you want to just help us out, help us pay our rent, we appreciate it. We greatly appreciate it. You can go to patreon.com slash five by five. Donate a buck, donate two bucks, whatever you feel is fair for the content that I'm trying to make for you every month. Go there and support us. It means a lot and it helps. And that's it for this show. We'll see you next time.